check, 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 check. Earth my body, water my blood, air my breath, and fire my spirit. Chant with me. You're allowed to chant with me. Earth my body, water my blood, air my breath, and fire my spirit. One more time, shall we? Earth my body. Water my blood, air my breath, and fire my spirit. Chanting that in a sweat lodge. Chanting that at Camp Tawanga every summer with a bunch of other prepubescent campers. Hey folks, these are the best moments of life. Honestly, these are my memories. Summer break meant, oh shit, it's coming. Overnight summer camp with these people I only see once a year. And they plan a bunch of outdoor activities that my family certainly doesn't plan, and I certainly don't plan. And I rely on this camp to show me Yosemite, to allow me to swim in a river, and to go in a damn Native American sweat lodge. Underground, with the rocks that have been heated all day long. You get in there, you bring two water bottles, and you chant, Earth, my body, water, my blood. And you chant a bunch of shit, and you challenge yourself. To battle through the heat. Because it's going to get hot. It's going to get too hot for some kids. All right, let Jacob out. Jacob's not doing so well. Let Jacob out. Just get Jacob out of here. But can you survive? Can you do 20, 30 minutes in the sweat lodge? Where you pour more water on the rocks? And it gets so hot that you think you're going to pass out. But you know it's worth it. Because you know it's about to create a euphoric feeling. When you emerge from the sweat lodge and jump in the Tuolumne River. Now, this sounds very unique. I get that. But you go in a steam room, you go in a sauna. If you have access to these things at a gym, you do reach a feeling of pure bliss. If you just focus on your breathing, there's something about heating your body up. Even a hot shower to a far lesser degree. Heating your body up. And then the contrast of cooling your body off. These memories only exist because I had access to an outdoorsy summer camp. Everyone, here's my thought, everyone should have access to an outdoorsy nature trip in the summer, but a good one. Just like every other teacher, I ask my kids, hey, what are you doing this summer? And a lot of the kids from affluent families say things like, we're doing Peru, Italy, and Hawaii. Or we're doing Portugal and Canada. Yeah, And I go, whoa, cool. Or even we're doing Tahoe and Yosemite. And I go, awesome. Some kids talking about we're doing Costa Rica and then we're going to hit up Paris. And I go, wow, unfucking believable Your families are awesome, but there's a lot of kids who aren't saying anything. What are you doing this summer? A lot of these kids aren't doing shit. Their parents have to work. Less privilege. So the idea of summer break, although we celebrate it, it's kind of depressing for some of these kids that know it's just video games, video games, video games, video games, and trying not to get into trouble, but you will get into trouble. That's a lot of time at home with people your age who are up to no good. That's the age where you might start crank calling people. Or what else did I do? What else did we do? Bored youngsters during summer break. Um, Played catch a lot. That's not rebellious. Non-dairy coffee creamer. You light that on fire. 
You're not supposed to do that. That feels a little rebellious. Searching through a dumpster for Playboy. We already talked about that. But honestly, if your families aren't taking you on great trips or if you have no plans to go camping or an overnight camp or connect with nature in a sense, it could get boring real quick. That's why. Here's my idea. Here's my thought. Public funding for education should go beyond the end of the school year. Give the kids a mandatory yet truly healthy experience. Phones away. Go connect with friends. Tawanga, that's where I discovered anything from Weezer to Jerky Boys to Grateful Dead to Richie Havens. Bunch of bar mitzvah age kids flirting, barbecuing, jumping off big rocks into rivers. Give them that experience. Okay, because all year long, we just shove the electronics in front of their face. And if summer becomes even more of that, if screen time is about to spike even more of that, more video game time, what are we doing? We're going to get dumber like Idiocracy. Isn't that the Mike Judge movie with Dax? You remember the Mike Judge movie? I think Owen Wilson might be in it. I saw it once, but I remember the message is we're getting dumber as a human race. We can't do that. How do we battle it? Go into nature. Not just opportunities, but make it as mandatory as school is. Even if kids feel forced into it initially, after about, I don't know, three hours of sitting on a rock, having hot chocolate and telling jokes with their friends, they're probably going to go, oh, oh, shit. I feel it. I feel the endorphins release and then give them a sweat lodge experience. Earth my body, water my blood. Give them the sweat lodge. Give every kid a sweat. Actually, I just realized they do outdoor ed. All right, but make it for the teenage groups. Keep outdoor ed going every year. And outdoor ed is during the school year, so forget all that. I'm talking about a summer break. Necessary, required trip into nature. S'mores, canoes, look at the stars. And don't put it all into a story for Instagram. Nah. I know I sound like the old guy saying no phones, but really, no phones. You'll thank me later. This idea really comes from Knowing so many of those kids who act like they're bored in class, they love being there because they know summer gets even more boring. That was even brought to my attention. Some of the kids who have the worst behavioral issues, they actually like being on campus. Even if it's a great place to misbehave, at least it's open during the school year. Summer break means, oh shit, back home for a lot of them. No trips planned. There is no Peru. There's no Tahoe. There's no Hawaii. There's no Paris. There's just more Fortnite, more Fortnite, more Fortnite, which sounds good, maybe for a week or two. But I know some of these kids get bored, and I know it would change their lives to be forced away from the screens and into a world of hiking up to a summit where you look beyond the clouds, rest forever. Connect with yourself, connect with others, connect with nature, health. All right, that's my time. You're going to love your headliner. You've seen him on James Corden. You've seen him on Jimmy Kimmel. You've seen him on Jimmy Fallon. Keep it going. For Rollo May. Who's Rollo May? I didn't know. But now I do because I have a book called The Psychology Book. And I think I am more into psychologists than I am athletes. Like when I was growing up, I wouldn't have been into Freud. I wouldn't have been into Pavlov. I wouldn't have been into Maslow. I wouldn't have been into Kierkegaard or Fromm. But now these are my boys. Now these are my heroes. I like geek out over them now. No longer do I care 
about the great rapper or basketball player. Now I just like to read about the theories and findings and studies of psychologists. I don't know why. Adulting, growing up. But my mom gave me this book because she knows I like it concise. I'm not going to read all the psychologists' books. So just give me the big ideas simply explained. That's actually the name of the book. Psychology book, big ideas simply explained. Give it to me. All right, so who was Rollo May? He lived from 1909 to 1994. They call him the father of existential psychology. Badass nickname. Hey, aren't you the father of existential psychology? Guilty as charged, Rollo used to say. Cool name, right? Rollo. Rollo, what's your theory? All right, his theory was something that I think is nearly impossible to adopt for our minds, but I'll try. I think I'll try. So one does not become fully human painlessly. We need the pain, need the pain, need the pain. I know you've heard this before, but humans seek comfortable experiences, right? You want today to be comfortable. You want people to be nice to you. You want it to go smoothly. We enjoy our familiar environments. This is how we're wired. And so we label experiences. That's good. Oh, that's bad. That person, bad person. That person, good person. We just go through life labeling everything. But old Rollo says this does a disservice because we fight against processes that lead to immense growth and development if we could just view them as a natural part of life. So all the shitty stuff that happens to us, I know this is Buddhist thought, but if we accept it equally, just like we do the good stuff, then our lives actually become easier. The paradox is we think our lives become happier and easier if we maximize the happy stuff and the easy stuff. Like if we just lean into all of that and hope, oh God, I hope tomorrow's happy and easy. I hope tomorrow's comfortable and familiar. But he's basically saying, like a lot of these psychologists say, you got to try to change your wiring to accept the negative experiences, even the traumas. How bad, how tough does that sound? To embrace traumas, suffering, to lean into that and say that's the essential part of living a human life. And that's what leads to growth. Old Rollo May, you son of a bitch, you win again. But I read this whole book, and I'm thinking a lot of these psychologists have theories that feel impossible, so you have to practice it every day. Because we have fight flight when something shitty happens, like if someone offends you, or if you have a major setback, whether it's financial or within your own family, or some tragedy or some trauma. Of course, it stings so bad, and you're not going to go, well, it's good, now I get to grow. That's not going to be your first instinct. No one's going to say, oh, good. At least I get stronger from this. That's what other people say in their cards when they write you cards. I'm so sorry to hear what you're going through, but this will make you stronger. And you go, what do you know? But beyond it'll make you stronger, it'll actually make you happier collectively to not run from it. That's what I'm trying to deal with. I think, I think that's what I'm going to try to deal with. Most of us could probably look back in our lives and go, that didn't go well. Or that person mistreated me. And we have our own narratives. And we trust our own stories. We go, that's my story. That's how I'm remembering it. And it could become debilitating if you try to run from it. If you try to block it out. Basically, that's most of Freud's findings, right? Repressed memories just come back to haunt you and ruin your life. Yet a lot of people love the idea of repress it, bottle it up, put it in a package and send it away. Now you're going to kind of fill yourself with it. Fill yourself with that shit. That's what Rollo May said. That's his classic quote. Fill yourself with that bad shit. And people said, Rollo, you're a professional psychologist. Plus, most of the psychologists think we were all born good and then nurture. It's more so nurture of our early environments 
that may have messed us up in certain ways. And the belief is that's unavoidable. No one gets a natural path. No one progresses naturally. It's all based on global events or your family or the people in your neighborhood, the people in your community, whatever the indoctrination was. It's that religion. It's that political party. It's that view of this leader. It's that view of history. It's that view. It all gets absorbed. We're magnets. We're magnets. We absorb it all. And then when we look in the mirror as adults, we go, wait, who am I? What's my belief system? What's my natural way of thinking? There is no, there's no going back and wondering what's my natural way of thinking. You just formed it this way. And that is natural to be so influenced by all of it is actually the natural evolution for people. Speaking of evolution, everything should have a reason, right? All these traits. Why do we desire this to survive? Why do we desire this? To continue the human race. Well, what's the function of this? And, you know, a lot of it is the classic natural selection. Our body parts, our brain chemicals, maybe even our intuition, our desires, our motives. A lot of this shit is just beyond us. We're just homo sapiens, animals. But what about laughter? What's the function? Why do we do this? Why do we laugh? It's weird that I think it might be the most important thing, but I don't fully understand why. Everyone has a distinct laugh, too. Picture a friend right now, a family member. Picture their deep laugh, their sincere, authentic, fall-apart laugh. We don't choose our laugh as individualized as our natural voice. We don't choose that. A laugh, it really individualizes people. Right now, think of a family member. Now think of their laugh. Just picture it. Isn't it weird how distinctly relative that is to an individual, their laugh? And why? Why do we, I hear people laugh so hard they scream? I think I'm adopting that. You scream. That's a primal thing that's happening. <laughs> ah! I hear people scream. People cry. Snot falls out of their face. They fall off chairs. They spit up things. They spit up things. If they're sipping something, they spit up things. This is my favorite thing in the world. Just happened to my mom. My mom had a major laugh attack when I went over there yesterday. It was amazing. She even said, sorry, because so out of sorts, right? So disoriented afterwards. You come to your senses. You're like, whoa, what was that? Sorry. I'm like, no, it's fine. I mean, I brought it to her attention how she agrees to do stuff that she clearly won't do. And she has all these dismissive statements and dismissive lines. But I'm like, you really should go to the gym. And she's like, okay, I'll get around to it. Sounds good. And I'm like, no, you won't. And I'll say something like, I just read this book. You'd like it. I'll read it. No, you won't. You should take your dog to obedience school. Okay, I'll get around to it. No, you won't. Well, you should join the pool. Go swim some laps. Okay, I'll do that today. Uh, no, you won't. Just say, no, you won't. I know you too well. A lot of us have these dismissive lines that we say to people just to end a conversation. All of us do it, right? Someone recommends a show. Hey, you should really check out Neil's Nuts on Hulu. It's really good. I go, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. My wife and I are looking for a show. None of that is true. I will not check it out. Someone gives you a... Recipe for focaccia bread. Hey, here you go. I was thinking you uh, would really like cooking your own focaccia bread, baking it. And I go, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll bake my own focaccia bread. No, I won't. All of us just with our dismissive lines, but I call my mom out on it. I'm the only one who goes, no, you don't mean that. You're not going to do it. And she was laughing to the point where she fell apart, fell apart, screaming. I love scream laughs. I also know there are some people that just sit there shaking silently. Do you know the silent shaker? Who do you know in your life that just sits there convulsing quietly? They're on mute and their body's just vibrating. You know that laugh? 
What about the snort laugh? We all know the snort. Actually, I think I have the snort laugh now. Not okay. I have mild sleep apnea. Maybe that's all connected. I snore a little bit. The sleep lab technician got back to me. said, you have mild sleep apnea. I have a call tomorrow. None of you care. Maybe I'll get a CPAP. My friend Anthony has a CPAP. He told me about it. Says it's a game changer. He has more energy now. I want more energy now. I don't want to rely on coffee, although my wife just got an espresso machine, so we will be relying heavily on coffee. What are the other laughs you've seen? The throw the head back and the arms in the air into a cover the face. I actually had Invisalign. I used to cover my laugh. I was so self-conscious about my gap, the gap in my front teeth. It's not there anymore. But I remember my laugh used to be to automatically cover my face because I didn't want my gap teeth on display. That's a man with insecurities. Hey, Rollo May, what would you say about insecurities? Lean into it. Learn from it. It'll eventually make you joyful and strong. To know you're flawed and fucked. Thanks, Rolo. Oh, boy. Let's get deep. You ready? All right. Take a sip of whatever you're drinking right now, and then let's just get deep. All right. I think part of being an American is to develop a little bit of comfort with feeling conflicted and not to have such intense convictions. I think the best way to be an American, here's my dogmatic perspective and here's how you should think and click like and subscribe and leave a nice rating but to be an american it's okay to feel conflicted this land is your land this land is my land we teach our kids songs like this i pledge allegiance and we have a lot of songs and we have a lot of stories we celebrate the shit out of ourselves don't we but when you start to learn about some of the uglier history you realize it's okay to feel both ways i feel patriotic i do feel a sense of nationalism and i feel a little bit embarrassed I feel a little bit guilty on how so many groups have been destroyed. So many tribes, indigenous tribes, were just wiped out because we had to keep going west. Manifest destiny. This was our mindset. Survival of the fittest. Hey, we have better weapons than you and a mindset that we should own this land. So we're going to wipe you out. That thought alone of why I'm here right now. Why I'm here right now in a town called San Rafael in a country called USA. I have to appreciate that, right? That I'm in a home where I could live with running water, electricity, a roof over my head for my kids to grow up in, in a great neighborhood. I have to like all of that. But when you trace back why this land is now my land and why we own it, when I say we, you know what I mean, the red, white, and blue, the doctrine chiseled in stone. We learned this, and I think the best word is conflicted. I'm still a little conflicted. I'm happy to exist here, of course, but I don't feel the need to just blindly display allegiance without a little more critical thought. So here's the thought. White supremacy, in my head, white supremacy used to sound like hate groups, like KKK or skinheads or people that would be on Maury Povich or Jerry Springer. I was about to say Seinfeld. Jerry Springer with his final thought. I used to actually watch this shit, this daytime shit, which a lot of kids who don't have summer break plans are probably watching these terrible daytime shows. But KKK members or skinheads on Jerry Springer or Maury Povich, when I was growing up, that's what I thought white supremacists were. But now, you think about white supremacy. Just break down the term white supremacy. It's way more mainstream. That's the real scary shit. We've already known the KKK, the skinheads. That's technically on the surface scary. Oh, scary. Look at their tattoos and their burning crosses and their hoods and their robes and their knuckles and their leather jackets. Okay, that seems like it would be the scary stuff. No, 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 no. 
That we accept, just like a horror movie. Okay, that exists. We got scared of that. But the real scary shit, how mainstream it is. The white supremacists in your neighborhood. There are nice neighbors. Seemingly very sweet people. Trick or treat, they answer the door with a smile. These are the people some of you don't even know. What they talk about behind closed doors, because you see them at the pool, or you see them at the store, and you say things like, should be hot out, or I heard it's going to rain, or man, I hope the Niners win this weekend. We say shit like that, and people come across as nice. And you don't go home going, fuck, what a bunch of white supremacists. But a lot of these people like to keep it white. They like to have more access to the good stuff, to the resources. They don't like to muddy their waters. They would never say it like that. But white supremacy exists because a lot of these people want to trace the history of the whole country to the forefathers who were white. The idea was white. Set up by white people. Set up by straight, white, church-going men. Now, the idea itself was the greatest idea, in my opinion, for governing. But the people creating it and forming it, like I just said, straight, white, church-going men. With liberty and justice and freedom for all and opportunity. The idea is so amazing. America as an idea is so amazingly wonderful. But how it has played out has caused this ugly hierarchy that still exists. It probably always will exist to a certain extent. And that's because a lot of humans are compelled to preserve the history. If you're white in the history of America, the early history, the forefathers signing that declaration is very white. And you honor the origins like a lot of us do. Most people honor their stories. The story of America is a very white beginning. What sort of nation, what sort of religion, what sort of group doesn't honor their origin stories? Well, our origin stories, these 13 colonies, it's white. You needed a lesbian at the table making decisions. You needed a gay guy there. You needed a Jewish guy there. You needed an Asian guy there. All with the same ideas. The American idea, freedom, equality, liberty, and justice for all. You needed a black guy there. You needed people of color. If they were all at the same table, and those were our forefathers and foremothers and for people, it would have been equality out of the jump, right out of the gates. And I think a lot of this was triggered by the fact that I was on the road the other day, leaving the Fairfax Festival, and I saw a big truck. It said Iraq War Veteran. It also had a Bernie decal, Bernie Sanders. And then it said, inclusiveness doesn't mean less of the pie for you. A lot of people think, oh, if we allow all these people opportunities, that's less for us. It's really the foundational ideas of white supremacy. Supreme. We're at the top. Everybody else, keep them below. Keep a system where they're below. Equality always sounded like a nice idea. But a lot of these people, these seemingly sweet people in our neighborhoods, they might be white supremacists who don't identify as white supremacists. They just perpetuate their role on top of the food chain. Speaking of the food chain, I saw a coyote chasing a cat in a viral video. Actually caught the cat and the cat got loose and the coyote gave up because the cat climbed up the side of a house and in that whole video I was like all right I guess we cheer for the cat right because the cat is someone's pet and you don't want that family to wake up the next day and go oh, where's our cat our cat's been eaten a mangled cat or even a swallowed cat and you just never see the cat again and we all cheer for the cat but I found myself thinking wait what if the coyote's really hungry and that's just nature coyote comes down from the hills so hungry 
eats a cat. That's how the coyote survives. I think about coyotes every day. Something's wrong with me. Every time I take out the trash, I think, here it is. Time to fight a coyote. And when I see a viral video with a coyote, my buddy Rick sent me a video with a coyote walking past his house. This is my neighborhood. These coyotes are coming for us. And when they do eat our cats and when they do eat our dogs, we will be sad, but we will also understand this land was made for you and me. No, that song doesn't apply right there, but we'll understand that coyote's just trying to survive. That coyote didn't have anything against cuddles. That coyote didn't have anything against tunes. Coyote just needed dinner. I'll watch those nature videos where a shark eats a seal and we go, oh, poor seal. We say poor seal. What am I doing while I'm watching that? Eating a cheeseburger? Poor cow. Oh, this rant got away from me. Why are we learning about Davy Crockett? It's a real question. Why is it that as a kid, I know the song, Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. I'll be honest. As a kid, I didn't really know that many old congressmen, but I knew Davy Crockett. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, green estate in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree. Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Fought single-handed through the engine war Till the creeks was whipped and the peace was in store While he was handling this risky chore Made himself a legend forevermore Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier That's why we know Davy. Injun, by the way. He's not saying engine, he's saying Indian, which we now say Native American or indigenous people. But it's weird that we glorify Davy for the kids and learn the song. Learn the song, Davy, Davy Crockett. When the truth is, Davy Crockett is well known as one of the guys that fought against the Indian Removal Act. Going back to the 1830s now. Davy Crockett said, hey, it's unfair to force these natives out. This genocide attempt. It's unfair to just wipe them out, take their land. Uh, the Indian Removal Act is still passed. Yeah. So he got bounced, lost his seat. In the House of Representatives. Then he goes down south, joins the Texas militia, fights against the Mexican army, and guess what? The Mexican army killed him! This Texas revolution, by the way, Texas history is insane, but this Texas history, which led to Texas leaving Mexico and then eventually being annexed by the U.S., there's probably still people in Texas today who are like, we just want to be our own damn country! But Davy Crockett bounced out of Congress Wanted to see more rights for Native Americans. Dies before he turns 50 in the Texas Revolution. And for kids, what do we know? Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And the rest of his life he took the stand. The justice was due every redskin band. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. He went off to Congress and served a spell. Fixing up the government and laws as well. Took over Washington, so we hear tell. And patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. You gotta love the fiddle. You gotta love those strings. 
You also got to love the message that most kids aren't picking up on. Highly political song. Has Davey been canceled yet? He's due. I'm pretty sure he's due to be canceled. We got to cancel all the white people. Just kidding. It's like Chris Farley and Black Sheep going nuts on stage and then says, kill Whitey. Oh, the place went quiet. My little daughter, four and a half years old, graduates tomorrow. We now have graduations for every age, and I have nothing cynical to say about that because I think it's fun. Put them in a cap and gown, let them sing, let them talk, let them dance, let's celebrate them, right? Kids are the best. So we have a pre, no, not even pre, what do we have? Yeah, daycare, preschool graduation tomorrow morning, then off to TK. But in her last week of school, we got an email from the teachers saying, Parents, something sad happened today. Uh, One of our chickens was found dead in the coop. And I'm like, oh, okay. They have chickens at this preschool. It's a great preschool. And when the kids went into the coop today, we noticed our favorite chicken was dead. And I said, okay. And then I kept reading and it was how to talk about death with your kid. If you haven't had that conversation with your kid, how to bring up the topic of death. And we did this before when our dogs died. My mom's dog died. My dog died. My wife's mom's dog died. All like within the same month. So it was time to explain to our little daughter about death. And we incorporated a Mr. Rogers book that we found about how to explain death. And Daniel Tiger has a book about how to explain death. But now she's a little older and she could kind of understand the concept a little more. Like that chicken's not coming back. That chicken has crossed over the rainbow bridge. So the teachers thought, you know, your kids might be sad today when they come home. She wasn't sad. Well, we talked about it and then she just on her own got out her favorite colored markers and a piece of paper and she said, I want to write a list of all the people that have died just on her own, like a way to in her head, maybe commemorate and honor all the people that have died or the pets that have died. And at first it was cute. We were eating. We're like, all right, you could take your markers to the dinner table. And she's like, who died? I was like, well, start with the chicken. So she wanted to learn how to write the name. She knows her letters now. And then draw. So I think the chicken's name was Shanny, like my wife, I just realized, or Sanny. I don't know. But we said S-H-A. Okay, good. And she drew a chicken pretty well. All right, nice. And then she said, who else died? That was her tone. She's not that demanding of a kid, but she was like, this list is important. Who else died? And I'm like, Muggsy, a beagle died. She writes M. Okay, U-G-G-S-Y. And then she draws the beagle. And go, good. He had big floppy ears. I thought we're kind of done with it. And she's like, who else died? For the next 20 minutes, it was who else died? And we're like, well, great grandpa Cy died. We're starting to talk about our great aunts and uncles. And we're starting to talk about celebrities that have died and all the pets that we could think of who died. And she won't give up. Who else died? She's screaming. You got to eat your food, Myla. Come on, eat your food. No, no, no. Who else died? Like, what are you doing with this document? Are you documenting everyone's death in her four and a half year old head did she have to do something i couldn't interpret it i'm not rollo may i'm not a psychologist but i was wondering what does death mean to her right now where she has to write down all of their names like she works at the morgue and then draw them and every time we would say a name she would actually do it she's very serious about that but i could just hear her voice in my head right now who else died oh god and i'd look at my wife do you know anyone who's dead my wife would look at me i don't know I was like, Bob, Bob Saget, just write B-O-B-S-A-G-E-T, Bob Saget. My little girl's writing Bob Saget. What did he look like? 
Just draw a face, glasses, I believe. Brown hair. Sweet smile. By the way, I did watch the Bob Saget tribute on Netflix. Jim Carrey, Jeff Ross, Chris Rock on stage. But it had such a sweet ending. Jackson Brown. I've never gotten into Jackson Brown, but I think I will now. Jackson Brown is on stage. And he said, Bob Saget actually likes sad songs. So I'm going to sing one. He said, I'm going to sing these days. And they bring Bob's daughters on stage. And John Mayer's already there. So Jackson Brown looks at John Mayer and says, I've always wanted to play with you. John Mayer has his guitar. He goes, all right, what are you in? See, they're like tuning together. It seemed like really raw, like an organic experience on stage. It really seemed totally unrehearsed. And then they just launch into it. And you could see Stamos is crying. You could see Carrie's crying. His kids are crying. I'm like, whoa, shit. Even though there's just the Bob Saget tribute on Netflix, this got real in a hurry. That's what I like. It felt a little unedited. No bells and whistles production. Just straight up. Hey, here's a bunch of comics and family members on stage with Jackson Brown and John Mayer singing this song. And I knew I've heard that song. My wife said we heard it in the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. And the version in the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack is eh. But the Jackson Brown version is yeah. So good. I don't know what's the original, but I'm going to play that to get out of here. So episode 189, the end might make you feel a little sentimental. The end of this episode, so picture someone you love. That's all I can say. Picture someone you love and let some positive vibes fill you up and consume you right now as we end this puppy. That's 189 in the books. I'll talk to you soon. Well, I've been out walking I don't do that much talking these days, these days. These days I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do. the chance to Oh